0: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 215. Well, just ahead, an anti-woke e-commerce company? Yeah, the shares are surging. Columbia Acquisition Corp leads us to wonder, what would Jesus do? And how the largest warehouse landlord in the world sees logistics differently and sees a big post-COVID adjustment and how home builder Meritage Homes is building homes for a market that just doesn't have any. My guest, Meritage CEO, Philippe Lord. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by
1: Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use customizable interface.
0: That's ERA, dot acom All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're gonna explain the business stories Behind some stocks that are very much on the move, Isaac Webster joins us, our executive producer. Isaac, how you doing? Good, Corey. How are you doing? Great. Uh, a lot of news this week. Uh, what stocks are you drilling down on today, Corey? Well, we're getting some really interesting indicators uh, about what's going on in the economy writ large. Uh, none more so, I think, than J.B. Hunt. J.B. Hunt, we haven't talked about
1: J.B. Hunt in a while. It trades under J.B.H.T. And shares have risen 11% since the start of 2023 and are around 11% higher in a year. What's going Which, on Which Which, uh, you
0: know, it's just, you know, now given, the, given that the uh, S&P 500 is up, uh, I don't know, 19% for the year, uh, J.B.H.T., J.B. Hunt, um, you know, not showing terrific performance. Although after reporting earnings this week, stock really surged. Uh, stock was up um, in, in just in the, in the day after they reported earnings, um, stock jumped, uh, I don't know, uh, 5%, 4% for the day. So pretty, pretty good move there for this company. Now, um, interesting times uh, here for JB Hunt, because uh, they say they're in the logistics business. Sure. Uh, trucking and rail is most of it, but uh they generally saw things slow down from last year and saw them slow down a lot. And sometimes I wonder, you know, when I look at the the, the computer headlines, computer generated headlines from Reuters and Bloomberg and others, I see, you know, uh, Reuters headline misses earnings and revenue estimates. J B Hunt, but they've missed the story here. What the story is that what J B Hunt came out, you know, why does the stock going straight up if they missed earnings? And all that means is that some AI a person or worse, a human wrote an, a thoughtless headline there. Because what's really going on here is interesting. Their numbers were not great. Their numbers were down from last year. But every indication they gave was that the company is actually uh, reaching kind of a trough here and that they really think that uh, they've reached something of a bottom in the post-COVID slowdown in rates and shipping units and that things are about to pick up here. And furthermore, they think that they're going to capture great advantage from this because of technology, something we don't think about when we're talking about a company that is trucking and uh, 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 rail freight. And yet here is uh, J.B. Hunt, EVP, Brad Hicks. He's the EVP of uh, Dedicated Contract Services. But the the way they fulfill those contracts and the way that they price those contracts for profit is all about a commitment to platform technology.
2: We stand committed to our investment in in the the platform technology as it relates to all things J.B. Hunt. Um, We we, we don't think about this one window of time that, that we find ourselves in which is probably the most remarkably difficult environment uh, many of us have experienced in our careers. Uh, Largely, the investment that we've made in tech is behind us uh, as it relates to the platform, but we will continue to invest uh, to add capabilities and features of value uh, for our customers uh, and for our carriers. And so we remain committed, uh, Scott, to the idea that the platform drives value for J.B. Hunt, um, and it's difficult to see in the last 90 days, uh, but there's a lot of things that are really difficult to see in the last 90 days, and, and I, I think that we'll be better for it uh, as we come out of, of what we're in. I think Shelley said last quarter, it's not a matter of, of if, but when, and and we believe that when that happens, we're going to be very well positioned and poised to be able to scale for the growth that our customers bring our way.
0: So Isaac, they think they've locked in a lot of uh, uh, price. I think that the inflation of last year is mostly behind them and that they've got an opportunity right now to really assess the market and start to uh, sign profitable contracts and grow from here. Maybe this is going to be one of the first areas where AI just totally takes over. I I don't know how much AI they're uh, doing things, but I think that uh, AI moving trucks and AI uh, uh, driving trains, that's not going to happen. We'll see. Corey, what's your next drill down?
1: I want to look at Prologis. Prologis uh, trades under PLD, and shares have risen over 9% since the start of 2023, and have lost a little over a percentage if you're looking at a 12-month chart. But if this stock has risen steadily over the past 10 years. Oh, my gosh. And since and rising over 40 percent since it started trading.
0: Yeah, and this was, uh, in a lot of ways, um, a, 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 a dream COVID stock because whatever was getting shipped with e-commerce was gonna be kept at some point in time in the largest warehouse holder of the world and Prologis benefiting so much from that. But in the last year, not doing great at all, as you mentioned, vastly underperforming the market. Um, and indeed, uh, this, these guys, you know, they lowered their rent growth forecast. They had been looking for, I don't know, 10%, 9 to 10% uh, in the US, 9% worldwide. They've lowered that to 8% globally. And specifically, they counted out weakness in Southern California, as Isaac's family has stopped ordering things online. Is that true? Um, Don't ask my husband about that. (laughs) Okay, there's plenty of ordering. There's plenty of
1: ordering happening. Every day brings new boxes to our doorstep.
0: Yes, uh, um, I have a similar (laughs) doorstep. And yet, um, we uh, see from Prologis that uh, generally Southern California slowed down quite a bit. Uh, Lower imports on the West Coast, driving the degradation in rent uh, increases. Uh, And uh, the market normalizing. I mean, these guys were just full. We I, I think last time we talked about them, we were talking about, um, you know, 99% occupancy, rent growth of 130% since yeah. 2020. These guys are raising rates uh, and continue to raise rates a lot, but that's uh, uh, tapered off a little bit. And um, what's really interesting here is that the CEO, uh, Hamidid, uh, excuse me, Hamidid Mogdan, um, and their offices, interestingly, are as close to the uh, uh, Business Podcast Network offices as any company, as close as as, as Salesforce or, or Autodesk. They're right there on a pier in San Francisco and a pier three to be specific. No, pier one to be specific. Um, and these guys uh, are seeing a little bit of a, a divergence where they think that they hold price better than logistic companies like J.B. Hunt, which sometimes have to drop their prices quite a bit when things slow down. And that really what we're looking at right now it's back to 2019, pre-COVID. Here is CEO, Hamid Modam.
2: The easiest way to think about it is demand, supply, rental growth. All of those things are, are trending back to 2019, pre-COVID. And if you take 20 to 22 out of the picture and imagine that in 2019, somebody would tell you that in 2023, you're still talking about the dynamics of 2009, uh, 2019 market, I would be jumping up and down, uh, happy about that. So that's where we are. And, and almost any question, I'm not trying to avoid your question, but it would be the same answer on 20 other parameters as well. We're back to 2019.
0: So there you have it, Isaac, back to 2019, according to ProLogis. This is definitely a long-term investment Corey, what's your next drill down? So I want to look at a company that is just now public. It's a little smaller than the usual company we're talking about. It's got a $200, $300 million market cap um, uh, with its initial listing. Public Square, uh, currently listed as the Columbier Acquisition Corporation. Yeah, it's a SPAC. Ah, SPAC. And this is a very
1: interesting SPAC. Uh, It's hot. Trades under CLBR. And CLBR shares have jumped 42% on today's trading session and shares are higher by 31% for the year, thanks to that 42% jump. So yeah, tell that, us that, about that, this company. That
0: entire jump is in the last couple of days, really. Yeah. So this company for, uh, going public through a SPAC, and I wanna talk about the financial uh, a success here of this SPAC, where we've seen almost only failures uh, for quite a while now. But uh, you know, we, we've all heard of socially responsible investing. Well, these guys are practicing biblically responsible investing, or at least encouraging shareholders to do so. According to, to their, their inter- interpretation of the Bible. For oh, sure. Just as like socially responsible investing is according to an interpretation of social responsibility. Fair. Right? Yeah. Um, so uh, the idea of this business, which is an e-commerce business, Public Square, is the notion that you don't have to give up any performance to pursue your notion of Christian values through investing. Public Square comes in and goes public with a spec that officially uh, is completed on Thursday, uh, July 20. I think you'll see the executives ringing the New York Stock Exchange bell if you're uh, if you're up that early or if you're listening to this podcast after Thursday, July 20. You missed it. But the idea here is that this company, Public School, will let you buy stuff that aligns with conservative evangelical Christian values. So what kind of products you ask, Isaac? I do. What kind of products? Products like Goat Farm. Natural skincare from a family-owned goat farm. They make... Uh, Goat milk soaps and lotions and body butters. And uh, How about high-performance diapers that, uh, quote, protect and celebrate every life? Oh. Veteran-owned star-spangled tea. Star-spangled tea? There's pro-life tea? coffee. What, what they is- got all kinds of stuff. And that company, wow. the company that gives us all those things, Public Square is public now. Uh, now they talk about their growth and engagement uh, when they're very exciting that they've got over a 1.1 million uh, active customer members. If you go to sign up for this business, uh, to use the business, it asks you to list your business as well. So they boast about a growing number of businesses on the platform, but those could just be people giving their email address. Revenues, well, not so much. So far this year, they've reported revenues of under $400,000 and losses of about $5.5 million. But it's interesting to see this thing out there in this uh, environment with such concern about wokeness and whether it's better to be unwoke, which I suppose is to be asleep, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I think it means something different to people who say that. Nonetheless, this is one of the only, let's talk about finance, let's talk about the stock market. This is one of the only SPACs that has worked in the last few years, if not the only one. Um, and this, uh, the SPAC sponsors uh, and the Columbia Acquisition Corp. Uh, have found a company that uh, investors are interested in. There's, there's a lot of uh, institutional money in this already. And obviously, it's got a story for a certain kind of retail investor. And indeed, uh, I listen to a, a podcast or a, a, it's like a radio show that's also got a podcast and a YouTube channel, Financial Issues. They are focused on what they call biblically responsible investing with host Shauna Burt. Here's just an excerpt of from her actually interesting podcast, Public Square CEO, Michael Seifert, speaking in the Financial Issues show.
3: The Public Square, publicsq.com, was started to help people that love their country, love their liberties as endowed by their creator and want to advance those values in the public square. We created this platform to help those people spend money in alignment with their values at businesses that have taken pledges to honor those values.
0: So love your country, love your liberties and love their pro-life diapers. God. Why not? I think it's great. Sure, everyone needs a diaper. Well, you know, it, I can see how one can disc- can think of a boycott and in keeping your money away from spending in certain areas as a capitalist uh, tool. But spending with people whose values align with yours are probably better for the economy than a boycott. spending. Spending. Is, spending is good for the economy, no matter which way you. Uh, there we go. Slice it. Public square. A story we'll be watching. All right, coming up next, a really interesting interview with the CEO of Meritage Homes, one of the largest home builders in the country. And they are doing something that just about nobody else is doing, which is putting houses on the market. America has gone from about 5% of the houses being from home builders to over 30% in just the last few years. And that is because of the story you're about to hear. What's going on with builders like Meritage Homes has completely changed the way the housing market works across this country. Country. You've got to hear this story. Meritage Homes, right after this.
1: The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T, dot
0: com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. We are joined right now by Philippe Lord. He is the CEO of Meritage Homes. Uh, and Flip, glad to have you on.
3: Thanks for having me. Glad um, to be
0: here. When you're in the top two or three builders uh, in America, you get mentioned all the time. Top five based on home closings. You don't get mentioned all the time, but Meritage is indeed a top five uh, builder based on home closings uh, in the U.S.
3: Yes, we are. We've, uh, last year, we built over 14,000 houses, mostly in the Southern Hemisphere. We like uh, where it's warm and there's lots of jobs. And so we were the fifth largest public home builder in the country as of twenty twenty two closings. Uh,
0: so really interesting uh, business. Let's talk a little bit more about where you are focused, uh, in particular Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina.
3: Yeah, we're focused in. Um,
0: well, you know, in Texas, where, I should mention. In well, Tennessee. Texas,
3: yeah, Texas is one of our biggest markets, and Florida, but. We're focused mostly in the South, um, across the country, California, Arizona, Colorado, um, Utah, Texas, Florida, um, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia. Um, we focus on really affordable housing. So we are focused on the first-time homebuyer primarily. Um, those are the markets where those consumers are living and want to live, are working. Some of the strongest uh, economies in our country, some of the strongest in migration from the states that I didn't mention, uh, right. where people are, are are sort of leaving, and um, the folks that are coming into those markets are are coming in there because there's jobs and because the um, housing is more affordable and um, and the quality of life is good.
0: So, uh, so that's is that that's kind of the connective tissue between uh, a Tennessee and a Florida and uh, you said California. I didn't know anything of California, anywhere in California is affordable.
3: Yeah, it's not, but you can still be on the bottom of the graph, which is where, where we're focused. So, um, you know, even though our prices in California are closer to half a million dollars, they're not a million dollars. Right. And so we're still, we're still focused on those consumers that can't get the typical medium home. We built further out. Um, we're in the inland empire, not in coastal California, for example, and we're still focused on you know those folks that are just moving into the stage of life where their uh, their family's growing, their personal finance dynamics have changed, and they're looking for that that first home purchase. And um, you know under under half a million dollars in California is is where those folks are going. Our ASP as a company is right over 400. Um, I think we closed out the year right around 415. Um, obviously, we're less expensive. Uh, in Florida and Texas, um, Arizona, a little bit more expensive in Colorado, California, Utah, you know, Nashville, Tennessee is a bit, um, less affordable, but at any day we're at the bottom of the graph. We're focused on,
0: you know, those folks that are buying their first home. Yeah. Yeah. I was just in Nashville. Um, I was surprised how unaffordable, I mean, relatively, it was incredibly affordable compared to California, but it would be more like Texas or something. Uh, um, it's a hot community and and indeed uh, uh, talk to me about sort of the, what those trends are in terms of how you are selecting the communities you want to be building in.
3: Well, it all just starts with um, buying in areas where there's good schools. I think schools is a, is a priority for our buyers and our consumers um, and where we can uh, buy land that can uh, achieve our affordable price point. Um, so, we look for the submarkets that are in the path of growth, um, that are, have the right infrastructure, uh, services are there. And the school system is a school system that's either improving or has already improved. And then we, we go out and we try to find, you know, property that can help us achieve an ASP of approximately 400,000. So, you know, 400,000 for us is a, a price point. Um, when you look at, Uh, just the nation as a whole, and you look at um, the demographics that are in play, uh, millennials and uh, empty nesters are two of the stronger demographics that are sort of they're entering life stages where they're looking for a different type of home or their first home. And then you look at the supply that's in the market across the U.S. and most of the supply is unaffordable. Uh, It's stuff that's above 400,000. So we're really focused on trying to deliver product below that price point and still provide a great house, um, for our, you know, for our consumers, um, something less expensive, lower maintenance has the right bedroom bathroom count. Um, which is
0: is what three, two, four, two.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, three, two, four, two, four, three. And then the biggest we'll get is like a five, two or a five, three, two story home, um, in Texas, for example, where everything's bigger. Um, and, and so it, and it costs you know, 150
0: grand a year. So, but probably yeah. not, but uh, again, that 400 prices. So what are the building trends and technologies that are changing your ability to provide that, not just land cost, but uh, surely there are, are, are new things that are helping you uh, build houses at those lower prices.
3: Yeah, Corey, everything is, is making housing more expensive, right? Um, you know, whether it's the land is getting more expensive, the cost of, Making raw land, land that you can build homes on. We call it improved land. Um, the cost to the regulatory environment, um, school fees, impact fees, water fees, all that's getting more expensive and kind of outside of our control. What's more inside of our control is actually what it costs to build a home, you know, the sticks and bricks that go into a home. So we're really focused on uh, technology that's helping us innovate how we build. Um, can we do off-site assembly um, so that we can uh, bring products to the job site that come together and go together easily, allow our uh, trade partners to perform more efficiently? Um, we, we do what we call spec building. So there's really two type of uh, new home builders. There's the ones that provide customization where you go find a, a lot and you decide what floor plan you want and then you pick out all your features and the home builder builds that home. And then the second type of home builder, which is what we are, is we do all that for you and we start those homes and we pre-start them. And then when you're ready to move, you come into our neighborhood and there's, you know, 10 to 15 homes that are already kind of there where everything's been selected and you pick which one you like. I I grew up in a
0: suburb suburb that had been built like that. And over the years, you'd meet a new friend and you endlessly encounter people who lived in the exact same model house that you lived in five doors down or, or five blocks away.
3: But what it allows you to do when you do that is it really allows you to keep your costs down, and it allows our trade partners to perform more effectively in a in a in a labor tight environment, and then we can hit that price point that we were talking about, which is what folks are are really focused on, especially in a rising rising in interest rate environment. And the we'll other thing I would say that. about yeah, The go other ahead. thing I would say about technology is we're seeing technology really impact the customer journey. Um, we're able to market our product and uh move a buyer through the sales process almost without them um interacting with us in a physical manner but interacting with us 100 percent digitally and virtually many more folks are buying our homes and they're the first time they're seeing their home is when they take possession of it um, which which used to not be the case we didn't have the t- technology to really deliver that type of an experience to folks and they where they could really get a sense of how they were going to live in the home how the home was going to feel, how the home was designed. But now we have technology that's really created um, a great customer experience. And a lot of the millennials, especially, they actually prefer that type of customer experience than you know interacting with people uh, throughout the build
0: throughout the build of their home. and they don't have to walk through a model home. They might just walk through it digitally. That's not cheap. I mean people as some people imagine in the edge on the margin say, oh, do you know, Cool. You just put up a website. It's free. You don't need salespeople. That's that's an expensive digital experience to provide. And I wonder how much you're saving by having it as a digital walkthrough, if you will, than than to have to have the the salespeople, the physical salespeople, the physical model homes and so on.
3: Yeah. I mean, we, we still need salespeople because um, this is probably the most significant purchase any family will make. Um, And so they still want, uh, professional uh, guidance and, and counseling when they're moving through that process. So we still need salespeople, but it's definitely helped us lower our costs when it comes to, like you said, having model homes. Uh, you know, we used to have three or four model homes in every subdivision. Now we can demonstrate our product virtually, so we only have one model home, for example. So we can definitely lower our costs from that perspective. But yeah, the the cost of the technology, the cost of maintaining that technology is more expensive. But overall, I think when you look at the puts and takes, uh, it's cheaper and and more cost
0: effective to do it digitally than it is to um, kind of the old way of doing it. How much? Give me some notion, percentage or something.
3: I mean, I I think that, um, you know, it's really, it's really kind of like difficult to say, but I would say that, um, you know, when our marketing was running, four or five percent of revenue, it's 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 lower than that now. And um my probably more like two or three percent when you take out oh, those
0: it's a big difference those models. Yeah. It's a big difference. Um I'm not good at math but it, but that sounds like it's
3: not so much about the math yeah uh, as it is about the customer experience. And you know our customers, they're seeking out a transparent, easy, um non stressful uh interaction with our company. Uh buying a home is is a really tense experience, especially your first home. And uh, there's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with it. And we're trying to remove that, right? We're trying to remove that stress and anxiety and give people a lot of comfort um, when they're interacting with our company and when they're making that big big purchasing decision. And I think um, the digital the digital tools have allowed us to do some of that more effectively and create a better customer
0: experience. And we've avoided talking oh, I want to ask about a, a statistic. Uh, I, I will ask about interest rates in a minute. But That's usually where the business reporters would lead because they don't want to do any homework on your company. But there's a statistic that you guys use that I think is really interesting called absorptions per month. Uh, and it seems like it's very seasonal, and it's and it's down fourteen percent in the most recent quarter than it was um, a year before. But talk to me about what is absorptions per month, and why is that a revelatory statistic?
3: Yeah. And you know it's it's down fourteen percent, but it's down fourteen percent from Unprecedented highs. If you look at right. the last three years with the with COVID and then the supply chain shock, um, the demand for housing has just been unprecedented. So we're still we're still doing quite well. Um, when we when we look at a community, we want to sell a home a week. Um, you know, we want to we want to have enough traffic and enough buyers where we're selling one home per week. That's how many our salespeople how many customers our salespeople can manage. And um, it's the most uh, efficient way to run our business. We keep the trades on our job sites. Uh, They're building down the street. So they're performing better. They like that a lot better. So we really focus on our absorptions per store per month. And four is the goal because that's one home per week per subdivision. And that's how we think about a business. That's how we buy land. That's how we... Uh, schedule our homes. Schedule our pr- production. It's uh, how we relate with our trade partners. It's how we relate with the realtor community. As we sort of set that expectation from the top down, and we try to achieve that goal, and it keeps uh, it keeps the the chain moving. It keeps the supply moving. It keeps the customers happy.
0: And and that's per subdivision. That's not per for across the whole company.
3: Yeah, per per subdivision. So we ended um, we ended the last quarter with 270 uh, ish communities. And we expect to achieve one sale per week per community.
0: Now uh, in, in the, in, so, so our listeners can get a sense of what we're talking about here. That number in the last five quarters has gone from 4.9 to 4.4 to 2.7 to 2.2, then jumps to 4.2. Is that seasonality? Or is that uh, about uh, customers getting used to the new interest rate environment?
3: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, uh, there is always some seasonality to our business. We typically sell, you know, if we're trying to get four per uh, per month per store, we typically tell, sell five or six in the spring when uh, folks are really focused on their, you know, moving before the summer starts, moving before the next school year starts. And then as we move into the back half of the year, we do a little bit less than that just because people are focused on other things, the holidays, it's colder outside, et cetera. But on average, you know, we'll we'll see that for a month, but it's a little bit seasonal. What happened over the last three years and really uh, the last five quarters, which you were referencing, was not seasonality. This was based on the volatility of interest rates. So the rates were, you know, three in the low threes um, in the first half of last year. And then they started trending up. And by the time we rolled into uh, October, November period, they were above 7%. So a rate was based the rates were double. Um, So that certainly um, consumers needed to digest that new environment. But we also saw quite a few folks back out of their home purchase in the back half of last year because they didn't have confidence in their jobs the confidence in the economy. And they weren't sure if they were buying at the right time. So that 2.2, 2.1 that you were referring to in the back half of last year was also a, a net number, not a gross number, which meant we had some cancellations that brought that number down. As we rolled into the spring, um, where rates are were closer to mid sixes, low sixes, um, I think consumers had just digested the fact that this was kind of going to be the new normal. And, and again, our buyer these aren't people that uh, want to move as much as they need to move, right? They've gotten married. Being their second your nine month
0: old isn't it? It might be three months later, but your nine month old isn't getting younger. Yeah, smaller.
3: exactly. Or, or they got a new job in one of these good markets that we're in, whatever it is. So there, there's a need there. And as long as they can access a payment uh, for the home, a mortgage payment, that makes sense. You know, they're going to buy. And and I think that's what we saw in the spring. And that's why our absorptions have uh, kind of bounced back. Um,
0: and maybe again, when they started shopping, up. they were comparing an affordability that might be akin to their rent. And that number kept going way up, uh, even though the interest rates were only, you know, quarter point, half point, but that, that affordability changed a lot for them probably while they were in the midst of a shopping experience. But it makes me wonder how long is that shopping experience? How long does a first time homeowner go from, I think I got to stop renting to I'm, I'm ready to sign on a mortgage here.
3: Well, I think it happens quick. Really? Um, oh yeah. I think when, when, when uh, something happens in your life where your current dwelling is no longer suitable, um, you know, it's usually the spouse who gets really upset first and kind of drives the behavior, but, um, you can see folks, uh, kind of making that decision and 90 late, 90 days later, buying a home. And, um, you know, we're focused on that consumer, by the way, you know, cause we want to have movement ready homes. So when you come to our subdivision, if you want to move in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, you know, we'll meet you uh, on your timeline. Um, And and those are the folks that I I think are driving the housing market right now. The other thing that's happened that we haven't talked about, too, which is really, again, unusual, is um, with the rates doubling last year. um, Anyone that bought a home in the last decade is sitting on a sub five percent interest rate on their mortgage. Right. And so there there's no incentive to move. But what's happened is typically we compete with the used home market, the resale market, and we don't really compete with our other new home competition. We're all competing for the, against the used home market. And there's just no resale homes in most of our markets. They're at historical lows. Oh, interesting. So So you're
0: you're the the, uh, pun intended, but you're only the only kid in the block, not the new kid of the block.
3: We, we really are. Typically we make up about 10 to 15% of the market and the other 90, 85 to 90% are buying used homes. Um, right now, we're probably closer to 30 to 35%, which is double what we t- traditionally run at. And a lot of it is folks just that ha- when they decide they're moved, they go out and they call their realtor and say, show me what you got, and they don't have anything. All they have is what we have. And so we're getting um, uh, you know an unprecedented market share right now in today's environment. And I think that's gonna ha- remain that way for some time. I don't think rates are going to come back down for a while. I think rates need to come back down into the five before people decide, okay, I can I can talk myself out of going off of a three and a half to a five, but it's hard for me to talk myself off of going from a three and a half to a seven.
0: Interesting. Let me ask you one last thing. Uh, uh, big news in the last week, uh, we, we're going to run this in a little while, but let me rephrase it. Big news recently about the, the California, or the Colorado water, um, the Colorado River water, and its usage in in many southwestern states, and it it's really going to put a crimp on I think on development of houses uh, in the uh, maybe we'll call them expert exurbs, but on on the fringes of places in Utah, places in Phoenix, places in in the Inland Empire in California, all the places that you are building, or some of the places that you are building, what does that mean for your land values? Can you still get built what you're going to get built? Is the land that you have now more valuable because there won't be other land? Um, uh, uh, down the stream across the desert from where you're building right now?
3: Yeah. So, the first thing I would say is um, this is a very important issue. And it's a significant challenge, not only for our business, but I think for just generally these markets out here and growth period. You know, how do we sustain this growth um, where folks continue on to, to move and live and, and make sure that we have a sustainable water? Um, strategy in place to, to support all that. Um, I do think it's a long-term issue, not a short-term issue. Um, When we look at our land book, um, all the land we own and control um, has water rights that are certified and sustainable. They're based on a hundred year water supply. Now that calculus continues to change. And I think for future land, as you're looking out and the land, we're going to buy five years from now, seven years from now, um, we're going to have to assess and the economics of that land are going, are going to change. Um, Arizona is, I think way ahead of this. Um, this is something that this state has been planning for, for a long time. So when you look at the Southwest, I don't think everyone is in the same sort of trajectory, if you will, of, right. of, of, of managing this and planning ahead. I think California, uh, which has the most water and access to the water is the least thoughtful of it. And, um, Compared you know, to Utah? they have a lot to figure out. Yeah. Really? And then I would say, yeah, I would. And then I would say New Mexico, which we don't build also hasn't been very thoughtful about it. And then, um, you know, Colorado and Utah to me kind of fit into the same bucket, but Arizona is actually really thoughtful about this. They've done a lot of planning. They've created the central Arizona project, which captures a lot of water.
0: Right. Um, the thing that and we incentives need do, and replanting and and getting the grass off your garden and having you know helping people do the things that can help them consume less.
3: Yeah, and the thing that we can do, and we already do this, we build one of the most sustainable new homes in the entire country and amongst all of our competitors, we've been building with a product called spray foam insulation, and we build a really high quality home that really has great management of its energy. And it also is really thoughtful about how it uses water. Um, we have uh, water, uh, the the plumbing and the infrastructure we put in our homes really really thinks through the water usage, captures the water, and so we'll continue to innovate how our homes operate and how our homes interact with the environment, and specifically how they interact with their water supply to make sure that we're being as efficient and thoughtful and 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 planning accordingly with these new constraints. And I think there's more. More work we can do, although we've done a lot of work. And um, most of the new home builders are building homes in a way that uh, uses much less water than uh, a, ter- a home that we were building 30 years ago. And frankly, um, existing homes, which don't have, um, haven't been brought up to code, haven't been, uh, their plumbing systems haven't been brought up to the, the latest state of, of um, water usage and technology, and etc. And we can continue to. Uh, innovate in that space and I think um, help sustain the water supply as we move forward.
0: Philippe Lord is the CEO of Meritage Homes and Philippe, we're grateful for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Coming up next on the Drill Down Podcast, The Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about Meritage Homes. Right after this.
1: The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events
0: with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Aira, A-I-E-R-A.com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast, but so much easier when you let someone know that you like the show, tell somebody or leave a review for us on iTunes or on Spotify. You can do that now on Spotify, it's kinda of cool. But uh, let someone know what you like about the show, what they might get in the show, because odds are as somebody you know right now Enjoy the drill down podcast just as much as you do, maybe more.
1: And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net.
0: We're back with the drill down podcast and the drill down bite to the one number that tells us a whole lot about Maritage Homes. And Isaac, uh, I thought it was interesting to look at the numbers for this company are so interesting. That interview was so interesting. Very, yeah. Um, but uh, the gross margins for these products with the inflation that we've seen um, have really taken a hit. So, but but I'd like you, to Isaac, knowing that most things have gross margins and uh, double digits, you know, operating margins usually close to a treasury rate at right, 5%. Yeah. Uh, maybe throw that out there. Some companies have better, some companies have worse. Tech companies seem to have none. But gross <laughs> margin. What is the cost of the home over the price of creating the home? For, so forget oh. the sales. Costs, forget the costs of the marketing for the homemaker, all that stuff, just the actual gross margin. Um, And I'll give you a clue. A year ago, in the first quarter, at the end of the first quarter, that gross margin was 30.3%, which is really strong. Yeah. Uh, It's lower now. Do you want to guess what it is? I mean, I would have guessed it's around 20%. It is around 20%. Here's your bite 22.4% gross margins. For uh, this Maritage home business, wow. In the first quarter of this year, I think that really reflects what we were hearing. There was the the cost of the raw materials going up so much with right. the inflation that we've had in the last year, and then wanting to stick to that four hundred thousand dollar price point. What that means ultimately, what that means ultimately, is a gross margin of twenty two point four percent, which still seems rather healthy. Pretty pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah even though earnings took a hit. Right, you been listening to Drill Down Podcasts? I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our a producer of this fine show. It's fine because Ben Wilson makes it sound so good. He's our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.